Hello, and welcome to episode 322 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Jeff Haas, comics creator and writer of The End of It All, Terminus, coming soon to Kickstarter. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Jeff, we're excited to have you on um, and to talk about this book. Let's uh, lead off how we normally start off an interview. We ask for two things. We ask for a quick bio and an elevator pitch for the book. All right. Sounds good. Um, jump in right now. Yeah. All right. So a little bio about me. Um, during uh, my day job, I'm an t- uh, English teacher at a high school for kids recovering from drugs and alcohol. Um, at night, I am a publicist for a bunch of indie comic books, um, a podcast host of the Verse of the Stars podcast, and writer of various indie comic books, um, including The End of All Terminus. Uh, for a quick um, elevator pitch, The End of All Terminus is an uh, epic uh, sci-fi fantasy about the last seven species in the universe who are trying to escape the boundaries of our universe before it's ripped apart by an unknown force. Wow, that sounds super cool. Um, we'll, we'll get into this book, but it sounds like you have a bit of a, a background. Do you want to talk about some of the stuff you've worked on uh, previous to, to this book? Sure. Um, I've been the writer of Sanctus, uh, The Nightmare Patrol, uh, Malik Raining Devil, uh, various other short stories. Um, I did some other work for Coming to Close Fractals back in the day. Um, yeah, so I have about 12 issues to my name so far. And do you mostly uh, operate as as a writer? Oh, only the writer. I, I can't draw for uh, at all. <laughs> I'm a horrible <laughs> artist. I could never do that. Unfortunately, I have to. Oh, and I also did Santa Claus, which was a two issue um, Christmas horror story. Uh, but yeah, I always have some good artists with me, like Frankie Washington. Uh, right now, I'm working on Brad Shit with Terminus. Joe Wong was on Santa Claus. A lot of good people. Very cool. Uh, Noah, do you want to lead off with our first question for Jeff? Yeah, it's kind of weird. We just interviewed another writer who's also an English teacher during the day and um, meant to ask this for him. And I'm curious to ask this with yourself. Um, are your students uh, into comics? Do you try to expose them to comics in your in your work, or like in your teachings and things like that? Um, I have in the past. I've actually uh, in the past had the students write their own comic book, like an eight page comic book script. Nice. For themselves, try to have them do some art, even though most of them are an artist. Uh, the current group that I have right now, not yet, but um, I've done it in other years, um, and it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I mean, they're not usually necessarily comic book fans themselves, but mm-hmm. most people enjoy the the writing of it. It's um, most people find it a little easier than writing a short story, and a lot of kids enjoy the visual aspect when they get to do some drawing and some hands on stuff. So I would actually, so I would say most kids get a kick out of it. That's so really Jeff, cool. Jeff, do you have a uh, lifetime long? Uh, fandom of, of comics uh you know I, I found with a lot of us it was something that we enjoyed in our youth and then as we grew up we we came back what, what what's your story with comics i've been buying comic books since well not buying but been reading comic books since maybe around eight years old my father was a comic book geek when he was a kid so when i grew old enough to read he got me into comic books and i've been buying comic books almost consistently now for i guess 30 plus years a couple of years between to collect baseball cards but for the most part comic books and i've been buying them for about 30 plus years i have an amazing collection of green lantern i have every single green lantern comic book and associated green lantern comic book from 1960 to current every single one (laughs) wow wow i'm a hardcore nerd (laughs) 
what were some That's of the incredible. what were some of the, I know Green Lantern, but what were some of the the first books that you were either buying or really into? Um, like I said, Green Lantern, uh, Batman was a very early one. That's one of the original ones I started buying. Um, I actually was buying Fantastic Four for a little while back in you know the the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, I bought actually I was buying Wolverine for a very short period of time. Um, that's pretty much where I what I started with for the most part. Um, Justice League of America on and off. My first comic that I really remember like in my head is an old uh, Jerry Conway Justice League of America story with a uh, Red Tornado and Firestorm, and that one just like got ingrained in my memory. And luckily, l- later on in life, I got to have Jerry Conway uh, sign that comic, the comic book for me, which was pretty cool. But yeah, that was the one I, m- I remember the most. Very nice. It seems like maybe you were uh, you're mainly a DC guy, and then every once in a while you you dabble in, in some Marvel stuff. Is that uh, is that the case? Um, it, it's been periodic. Um, for, I started you, usually I go through phases of DC. Then for a little while, I was collecting all a lot of Spider-Man during Onslaught uh, storyline, a lot of Spider-Man, a lot of X-Men, a lot of Marvel comic books. Then I went back to DC, took a break a little bit in between for cross-gen comic books when that was out there. And I bought a lot of cross-gen back in the day. Um, now, believe it or not, I actually now own buy more Marvel comic books in a month now than DC. DC, I'm only really buying The Flash. I buy Fables. Uh, Marvel, I'm buying Moon Knight, buying Thor, um, and buying um, uh, the Hulk from time to time as well. So actually, it's a little bit beating um, Marvel than DC at this exact moment. Very cool. And I'm that guessing cool. with uh, I'm guessing with your connections to the to the indie scene, you uh, you're getting some stuff that's not superhero fair. Is that is that true to say? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, you have Image with uh, Saga, which is right now I think one of the the classic sci-fi stories that's out there right now. Saga's absolutely fantastic. Um, Goon, Yusagi Ojimbo. Um, I'm not buying anything that's uh, the super super um, you know hardcore indie. Like right now, I just started buying picking up Gargoyles from Dynamite. I mean, I'm not a huge fan usually of Dynamite. Um, but yeah, I'm usually buying about eight titles a month right now. Very cool. Well, let's turn our attention to to the book that's coming to to Kickstarter. Um, is this a story that's uh, been in your head for for quite some time, and uh, you just uh, found the the team to to do, or something maybe that was a recent spark of of inspiration for you? Uh, about um, God, I'm trying to think of how long it's been now. Maybe uh, two years ago, the idea sparked my mind. Kicked out a few stories I was working on at at that moment. And I pushed it aside to focus on this because it just kept ticking away in my head. And when something, when you start kind of seeing storylines in your brain, you start kind of like seeing the story in your head and you and, and the characters start, you can start getting their voice a little bit. Everything else kind of has to get put to the side for, for that story. So it's been about a year and a half, two years. And um, it's been pretty much my focus since that point. Um, other than, uh, well, Malik as well, but um, it's it's been pretty important to me for the last couple of years. Nice. And uh, so so the art team or the creative team here, are these people that you've worked with in the, in the past or are these people that you're like, hey, you know, this is the artist I need to, to tell this story? How did, how did you put everybody together? Well, right now, um, the artist is Brad Ship. Uh, we don't have a colorist. Uh, we're keeping it black and white. But um, Brad Ship is the um, the pencil or anchor and the hand in the grays of the story. And I actually can't even remember where I found him. I found him in a chat, um, in one of the combo chat rooms that are around. He was showing samples of his work. And I was looking at it. I was like, this guy is good. This guy's a lot of great pit, um, a lot of great art. 
and I'll guarantee I can't afford this damn guy. <laughs> so I was like, but you know, what the hell? I'm gonna reach out just to, you know, just as that little fear, like, hey, wonder how much this guy's costing. And I was not certain I was actually going to get started on the combo because I didn't think I was going to find an artist that could have, um, that'd be like with my price range, especially a good one because it has to be a good one. If it's not a good one, it doesn't matter what the price range is. And I, I, I kind of contacted him like, hey, you know, what what would you do um, a page for? And he gave me the price. I was like. I can work with that. I can definitely work with that. And I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I can afford this guy. And when as soon as he said yes, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going with head with this comic book. I got an artist with, you know, a talented one that's going to do it in a way that's um, affordable for me. That I didn't think I could get. At that moment, I knew Terminus was going to happen. I was like, all right, I'm going to get started. This is all the way in. So I decided to go all the way in at that moment. Very cool. And I was going to ask earlier when you're talking about Green Lantern, uh, the world of this comic is very uh, eclectic in its creatures and things like that. And I kind of like how you distinguished it as sci-fi fantasy instead of just, you know, pure sci-fi. Um, is that, do you think that's inspired by Green Lantern, which I've always sort of considered to be like, you know, pure sci-fi fantasy, you know, yeah, with its vast universe and things. Well, there's definitely influence from Green Lantern. There's a lot of influence from Star Trek. Uh, mm -hmm. this uh, what uh, one of my alien species, I you know I'm not even gonna fake that I is not somehow inspired by the Klingons on some level. I mean that it, it's there in their culture. I, I I'm not gonna lie about it. Um, he's definitely gonna be inspired. I mean, there's a little bit of Star Wars, but uh, some of the uh, the grittiness of it. Star Trek tends to be a little more shiny. I like the grittiness of Star Wars in their space view, uh, vision and Green Lantern. You know, once again, I got the scope, the alien stuff like that. So it's I would say it's one of those three, um, um properties that are the, the main inspiration and what was the uh sort of inception of this idea what 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 how'd you come up with it i don't know <laughs> awesome it, it, it's when sometimes when when you're a writer thing something pops in your brain um it is not necessarily a you know meant to be there you're not sitting there like thinking about it but there's an image in my head of the end of this series and that image I can't give away because it gives away the, the entire series um, that was in my brain. And then I built a story around it. Okay. Um, but it is, it's, it's a, the story, the series is going to end on a very cool note, uh, heavy, heavy um, kind of sci-fi um, scope to the ending of the story. And I definitely saw myself as um building it around that concept and once that concept was in place that when it popped in my head the rest of the story kind of started falling into place and i started thinking who are the aliens that would exist on the ship um who would you know what am i saying by those who would sort of are going to survive because there's going to be a certain number that survives um yeah so that's kind of where it came from so that's really cool having, so with having that end point in mind and, and always having a place to work to do you have an idea of like how many issues that you want this to be? Or is it sort of like, hey, I'm going to start this story. I'm going to take it where it's going to go. It might be a number of issues and I'm eventually going to get there. Or are you like, all right, this is five issues. Like, what's, what's your plan there? Um, it's a longer form series. Um, as far as how many issues it's going to be, I have an end point in mind. It's, this is not an ongoing, like, I'm, this is going to go, you know, as, as long as people are paying, I can keep writing it. There's a definite end point I want to get to. The question will be, how long will I take to get there? Um, that's yeah. going to depend a lot on the success of the comic book. If people are loving it, it's going to go a little bit longer so I can tell all the stories I want to tell. If I'm feeling like I need to wrap it up because, you know, the audience isn't there, 
I can, I'm going to obviously shorten it up to a, a much smaller number of issues, but we're looking at more one way or another um, at um, more than 10. Nice. Yeah. I feel like that might've been the case for like something like the walking dead. That was like, I feel like Kirkman knew where he was going to go, but like he got to a point and, you know, luckily for him, he was so popular that there was the, the, you know, the desire to make it a, a longer form series. And he got to like do these side stories, but he was always working towards that, that point that he got to in the end. So it sounds like there's something that you could do here. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. Like there's a lot of characters in the story. There's a lot of different species. Like I said, there's seven prominent species um, in the series. A lot of ideas I want to share. Um, a lot of it, some of it's going to be um, an allegory for my views on certain societies, cultures, things of that nature. Um, and a lot of it's going to have to do with people's interests. But the nice thing about having a story like this is, and having the end point is that I can get to that end point whenever I want to. This is a question of what do I get to talk about before I get there? And I'm hoping people love it enough and are interested enough that they'll come along for the ride and want to know where the story can go and all the places it can go and not just want to rush to the ending or get um, bored of the journey. Uh, Noah, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, so, what, like, what, what, um, excuse me, what, like, uh, like, with the, uh, like, the universe that this is created, like, you know, this is sort of the last of not just like humanity, but like of all life in the universe, right? Is on yes. this flat on this ship, right? Um, what like when you're coming up with like the races of aliens and like there's some like robotic characters in there too like uh were you sort of like did you have a list of like creatures you always wanted to see in comics and then that's sort of what came into it or did you have like you know like i guess i'm just curious how you developed the the different races and the different uh types of beings that will be on this planet i guess that's what i'm trying to ask well when I was thinking about the different aliens that I was going to use, it's kind of like a different versions of um, ideas, philosophy, different types of thought, different types of individuals. For instance, um, like I said, there's a race similar to the Klingons, which is a warrior race, not quite um, exactly like them, but a similar concept where they're about to survive with the fittest. And I kind of wanted to explore that type of culture. Uh, there's the link, which is a machine culture and I'm kind of, wanted, which is very collective. I want to explore that. There's the acolytes of DeVoe, which is a religious based um, culture. They're all, kind of like um i think the best way to explain them they're almost like space catholics <laughs> with like a pope <laughs> character things of that nature um i kind of want to explore um what that would be like in this type of situation interacting with the other groups um the, the, the aurelians are a plant-based culture very long-lived so i wanted to explore that perspective as well there's humans obviously um there's rockians they're a um two they're two individuals which is a cl are clones of each other and they their entire civilization is based on this same cloned individual. So they're very much they're very similar to each other, almost um, very much identical. And I kind of want to view what see what that culture would be like a, a, this kind of cloned um, species that viewed themselves as perfect, as like the perfection of of uh, sentience. Um, the paragon, which I am not go too much into, but I think they're going to be very interesting as well. And I kind of want to explore how these different groups would react to the end of days as it were and how would they react to each other how would they clash with one another and there are different ideas i wanted to discuss express and kind of explore that's kind of where i decided to move and i would thought to myself is there any groups i'm not thinking about or who which ideas or philosophy I have not explored 
and that's kind of where I am. Yeah, that's cool. So, that that sort of it came from a philosophy first, and then sort of the aesthetic followed. Right. I like that. That's a, would you say that's sort of how you write generally? Is just sort of like the big ideas, the big concept first, and then sort of everything follows after that. Or do you have some stories where you think of a protagonist first or a character first, and um, the story it, follows from there? I, I think a, a lot of writers come up with their ideas in, in very different ways. Um, like this, I wrote a story called Santis, and it was more of a of, of a concept um kind of once again had to do a little bit with ideas of um faith and religion and i thought i wrote a story about that santa claus started off with the title and then i wrote a story around the title um <laughs> the nightmare patrol was a concept i wanted to write a story using these different um different monsters um long story short but i'm not gonna go into the details of where that story came from but they come in different ways and it, like once the idea hits you either it's a title or it's an image or it's an, a concept then you start building the story around. You start fleshing it out. Um, the fun part is the fleshing out of the story. The actual writing of the story is painful and agonizing, but the fleshing out of the story is actually kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So when you come up with like a really cool concept, the the trick is from concept is to make us care about the the character. Um, is is that something that's that's easy for you, or is that something that dif that's difficult for you? And just to be honest, I'm, I'm proing you because uh, I'm a concept guy um, as a writer. And then I try to uh, formulate and, and make people care about the character. So I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, to feel you out and, and see if I can get some tips here. <laughs> um, I think the best way to go about doing that, at least the way I try to do that, I don't try to make anyone care about the characters. I try to be true to the character. I try to make them as fully um, fleshed out as humanly possible. Um, I try to give them a personality. I try to give them um, an objective and a, and, and a cause for that. And hopefully, if I try to stay true to the character, true to the story, the reader will find something to latch onto with that character. But I try not to force. I don't I try not to make like, how to make this guy well-liked. Well, mm -hmm. the character is what I think the character should be. It's as much of the human or humanistic characters I can make them. And if you do it well enough, I think readers will empathize with that character to some level, regardless on how you approach them. Yeah, and that's got to work as well, because, um, you know, giving them, uh, you know, an objective or, you know, a motivation, um, we still somehow figure out a way to relate to them. And then we... Um, you know, when we see a character do something, we're like, oh, you know what, that makes sense because, you know, that's who, you know, this guy, this girl is, and this is what they're trying to do. So you're still giving them something that's relatable that we can sort of identify with um, where, you know, you're not necessarily like, all right, I need to make people care about this person. So, you know, He's an orphan who lost both of his parents to uh, Crime Alley um, or something like that. So, like, we, we, you know, you're not necessarily giving them a weakness or, you know, giving us something that, that we have to care about them. But we know what they want. And we know, you know, basically, maybe after a few pages, a few panels, we're like, all right, this is how this person operates. And we just get a basic understanding of them. Is, is that what is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean for the most part if you do a character right 
you make them seem real, people I think will naturally empathize with that character. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you, I mean, if you're forcing it and you're trying to be like, this character is so good, so nice, you're definitely going to like this character. I think you're going to end up with a very cliche, um, probably overly sappy type individual. And mm -hmm. I don't think you should ever force it that way. You you write your character the way you think the character is supposed to be given that situation, given the circumstance. And at least if you do it well, you make the story interesting enough, people will attach themselves to a character. Humans, I think, um, real people, I think, have a tendency to immediately empathize with whoever's point of view you're dealing with and if you keep it real and you make it interesting enough people will follow you along with it and i think that's the key um i mean are people loving batman because he's an or you know he was orphaned by the death of his parents or do they have batman because he's really freaking awesome and over and as you got um attached to the character you know you started you know building a little bit more interest in that character but i think Batman works because he just is a great character and people because he's great people attach themselves to, to that character I don't think you need I don't think you should force try to force your characters to become inherently like likable by the reader or I think you're going to end up forcing too much into the character that doesn't belong there yeah that's 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 a really good point like uh just to kind of go back to Batman you know you see these you see these cool images of a you know a uh, heroic, you know, dude standing on top of uh, a building in the rain. It just looks really cool, and he does these cool things. And the uh, the the backstory is just something that 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 adds to it to, well, you know, further ground it or make you know make us care maybe a little bit more, right? Right. Well, the the, the important thing with Batman, when we think about Batman's history. Batman was not given his origin, or at least the reason we're not giving his origin. In his first appearance, it took many issues before they finally sure. started giving him a backstory. So people already bought into Batman well before they knew what that he was an orphan. They attached themselves to the character because they were interested in the character, what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, it, like, I can't remember how many issues it took, but I, it had to be, I think it was more than five before people even started, they started giving a backstory to, to who he was. Yeah. That's very that's very true. Um, let's uh, circle back and make sure that we're we're talking about uh, your stuff. Uh, Batman's got uh, enough of his own promotion machine behind him. We, <laughs> we don't need to talk about Batman anymore. So you go out and you 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 find your artist, um, and you start uh, you start rolling on this story. Um, do you guys have like a feeling out process where it's like, all right, show me thumbnails? show me loose pencils um, and you're approving it each uh, step of the way. Um, in this particular case, what, what, what we did was he did want to sketch out the characters, uh, make sure I approved on, on the image. The, the thing I believe in very heavily though, is that I believe in trusting your artist. I believe the artist is going to be visually superior to, to, um, to my ability, um, you know, um, my, my visual ability to kind of like picture how things should appear. They're better at doing that than I am. So a lot of it was trust. Um, I trust his work. I trust him. And I mean, at the beginning, there's, there's a little bit, there's, I think every indie writer feels a little bit of fear when they get an artist first attached to a book thinking, you know, are they going to do the job? What the hell, you know, what kind of bullshit is going to come with this? But um I trust, you know, I trusted Brad, trusted his work. He, he would send over a few sketches of characters. Say, hey, this is what I think they're going to look like. And 
he did awesome. I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. I made a few suggestions here and there as we went along. But for the most part, I, I, I trust him to do his best job, and he's been doing it. And, you know, uh, and I just need to be patient and, and wait um, for the work to come my way. And once again, also, even if you don't 100% like what you see necessarily, you still should trust the artist mm-hmm. to share in your vision with you. So if, this, if the artist feels that this is how something should look, even if it's not 100% what I had envisioned, I thought to myself, oh, that's definitely what I wanted. It's a team. They yeah. should ha- You want them to have ownership of the characters and the ship and the story and the panels themselves. And you do need to give them that level of control and trust you know, that their vision is probably right as well, or they have a different vision that also works. So if you are going to be controlling about the story and be like, no, that's not what I, how I saw it, or the character should look like this, not that you keep and get on like, like that. You can't be angry when the artist stops showing investment. Yeah. So that uh, that's very true. And I've been really lucky and that uh, the artists that I've worked with have, uh, you know, we, we've worked really well together. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of revisions. Um, was there a time when you had an idea or you, you saw in your mind's eye one of the ways that uh, uh, one of the alien species was going to look and uh, the artist either nailed it perfectly or what you had in your mind and then what you saw was, was you know, either, you know, so much better or something that like you never even like, you never even considered? Um. A lot of it is like that. I mean, he killed it on the link. They, they look really badass. The ship looks badass the way he he set it up. Um, the the Lorellians once again made it way cooler looking than I had originally thought. Um, like I said, I the, you'd be amazed. I think the artist really does have a better sense of design than the writer does. Mm-hmm. And I've been and working with Brad, I'm consistently convinced that I'm right about that because his visions of things are much better than mine. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Noah uh, for, for a question uh, in a second. But uh, as a writer to a writer, um, when you uh, when you write out your scripts, are you are you very detailed or is it like character A, character B in this environment? Basically, this is the objective. You know, we've all heard the story of Alan Moore writing, you know, paragraphs upon paragraphs, and then Dave Gibbons just going in and highlighting the two sentences that he needed to, for the panel. What's what's your writing style like? Um, it's definitely not <laughs> like Alan Moore. Um, usually, there's, there's a few sentences that just give you the sense of what I want, what I kind of see. Um, I, I sometimes will put in um, perspective, like I want this to be a close up, um, you know, sky view, something like that. Um, and who's in who, who I see in the panel, what I see them doing a little bit. I'm not really big on backgrounds, like this is what I see in the background, anything like that. Um, but at the same time, once the I I I, I will tell the artist too, if you got something better, do that. Yeah. Um, and a few times, you know, I, I've made a few suggestions back and forth. Like, um, there's, there's a panel that he did, and I mean, it was okay panel, but I was like, let's zoom in on that. The, the image you should be tighter on that, that would work better. And so you made it tighter and it works and it worked better. But for the most part, like everything else, you got to let the artists do their job and you got to let them own the story as well. And I tell them every time, this is what I, this is the story that I see. 
if you do if you a better idea for a panel, do that panel. And if I if it doesn't work at all, I'll let you know. But for the most part, it's going to be some sort of probably compromise of what we both saw originally. Yeah. No uh, question for Jeff. Um, so when you're like getting art back and things like that, are you um, are you and the artist are sort of on the same page as far as where the story is going in the future? Are you guys laying down Easter eggs and things like that in the panels for for future issues? Because you know you said you had a uh, you have an ending in mind, and to bring up Alan Moore, I think one of the things that I love about Watchmen is that it at least feels like when you look back at that book that Dave Gibbons was sort of in on how it was going to end and he was laying down his motifs and clues and things like that. So are you and the uh, artist working on that? Or is that not really the focus? Um, me and the artist do, um, I, we had a phone call, you know, phone conversation with the artist and I kind of broke down at the story with him and where it was going. Mm-hmm. So, so he, kn- he knows the story. Uh, there's a few Easter eggs right now, but for the first issue, um, there isn't a lot of Easter eggs in that first issue necessarily because, other than the the, the interaction with the characters, I've there's a lot of uh, Easter eggs, not Easter eggs, but uh, hints about where the character the stories are going with the different aliens. But for the, mm. there's so much character development and um, story development in that first issue that I didn't. I'm not worrying as much about those Easter eggs yet because we're not that far, and where the ending is going to go is a long way off. Um, so they're not all there, but I made sure the artist knows where we're going. Um, the few things in issue two that I hinted about that's going to come up later. I was like, you need to make sure this is added or that's added. Um, cause it's important to the story. Um, but I don't get too bogged down with all the little details because they're like I said, there's so much going on. There's so many characters that, um, if they had too bogged down in like little winks to, to the audience, it's going to, um, slow down the entire story. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And you like, I think it, pacing is important to you. And I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. What, uh, like, you know, is the whole series going to be taking place on this one ship? Can I ask that? Or is that too big of a spoiler? Um, no, it's not too big of a spoiler. I mean, they're, they do arrive on planets here and there, but the ship is the primary focus, primarily because everything mm-hmm. else in the universe is being torn apart. So most of the action will be on the ship. Uh, the ending uh, is not on the ship. Um, and every and periodic, we in the second, uh, for, the end of the first issue, being the second issue, we they land on a planet. Um, so we do visit things and do visit other places. But the Terminus has to be the focal point because it's like, um, it's, it's the last life raft. So it has to have the focus of the series. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And also I was getting a little... Um some Ripley from alien vibes off the president character. Oh, Lamar. That's intentional. <laughs> um, she seems very, yeah. Um, the, the, there's, there's some aspects of her character. Like I could definitely see that connection. Um, I mean, I, the, Ripley is sort of like the, the standard template for every strong female character in a comic book. I think at this point, uh, they did such a good job with Why her. Why wouldn't she be? Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, she's definitely the, a template I think for all of them on some level. Um, Lamar is an interesting character because she's finding herself. She's a young leader. Um, early thirties would be kind of how I place her age. Um, and she's finding her footing on a ship where a lot of different cultures, a lot of, um, very powerful individuals are there. And she's trying to, as we see as her basic story plot is finding her strength as an individual, 
stand, trying to learn to stand her ground and trying to take ownership of her place as um, captain and leader and president of the ship. Because mm-hmm. she's both the captain of the ship, um, but also for the humans, she's the, the president, so leader of the humans. So that's where she's the president. But as president, she's also captains the ship itself. Um, she's in charge. Like I said, she has some a lot of doubt in the beginning because, and I'll go into a little more detail about why that is, but she was put in, she was sort of elected to be the leader because all the other alien races viewed her as someone who was manipulable, uh, someone who they can control because she was young. Um, also, lack of respect for the fact that she's a female, that she's also human. Um, and she has to find, and she knows that to be true, that she knows that's why she was put into power because everyone assumes they can manipulate her and control her and also, or intimidate her. And her job is going to be, or her arc is going to be her demonstrating her strength and that she does belong to be a leader, but not because of those reasons, but that, but because she is smart, she is strong and she is, um, extremely capable. Well, that's very cool. I got that, all that from just the, the the preview pages that you provided from us so oh thank you great it's cool to see a strong female protagonist in a sci-fi comic yeah i mean i it's something i definitely want to focus on um like i said a lot of my um like i'm writing uh malik uh at the same time malik is very testosterone based um almost all i was like i'm gonna write this story i want to um, definitely write some more female characters i definitely was remiss of not having a lot of them in my uh malik story so i definitely wanted to make kind of work on that and challenge myself to write a good uh, fully developed female character yeah awesome. awesome so so jeff um this this story is coming to kickstarter and you mentioned some of the the previous stuff and the stuff that you're working on have you have you gone to kickstarter or crowdfunding uh before um i did crowdfund malik um raining devil the first issue this was maybe maybe almost Three years ago, maybe it may have been three years ago. Um, that was my first real attempt at uh Kickstarter. We did um fully fund, um, it was tighter than I wish it was, but I think we, I think we, the goal was like 900, I think we did like 15, 1600. Um, and but then since that point, I've also been a publicist for any comic books for Kickstarter since that since. So hopefully, some of that experience as a publicist uh pays me back on uh on this one for myself this is the first time of trying to be doing a kickstarter since i started going to the publicist biz, uh, business yeah that was gonna be one of the the, the questions that i was gonna ask for you so i guess this is a uh, good transition a number of the people that we've interviewed on this podcast have been been set up um by you um i think two three episodes ago we had anthony stokes yep. um on um, you want to talk a little bit about the the service that you provide to, to indie creators? Yeah, basically I have a, a two-tier system um, or offering for indie creators. The lowest tier is basically just scheduling interviews for them. Um, that's usually, um, I charge about um, $150 for just scheduling. For $250, um, I do a full service. I create a press release, a promotional video. Um, I promote them through social media, um, usually three or four times a week. Um, I give tips on their Kickstarter on, and try to um, give them, you know, give them advice. If they don't have a Facebook page dedicated to their comic book, I help create their Facebook page for them. Sometimes I create a Twitter um, account for them as well to help promote. I did that with uh, uh, Lori Casatera, got her, and also with Bigfoot Nose Karate, I got that. Them started on their uh, Twitter page as well. And then, you know, and 
also once again it helped um direct them through um also uh reviews um press release you know like i said i sent press to um coverage as, as well so that's that's like the two tiers that i work on awesome so and i gather that um for for an indie creator that's getting one of your services doing the podcasting um circuit um it seems like you schedule the interviews you get them the link and you're like all right uh, Monday, you're on this show. Wednesday, you're on this show. Friday, you're on this show. Is that uh, kind of the the case there? Yeah, I mean, I I basically handle their their scheduling for them. Basically, I'm like a I'm a scheduler slash uh, glorified secretary. Uh, try to keep them organized. Try to make sure the links are getting to the, to the right people. Make sure they're reminded that they have a show to begin with. Mm-hmm. Remind the podcast that they have a, a guest coming up, <laughs> which happens unfortunately more often than it should. Um, Basically, make sure the every the trains run on time is basically yeah. what, what my goal is. Well, I can say from from personal experience when when we work together, um, you know, you reach out, um, you give us a time frame for where you're looking to to have the interview. Um, we talk about some dates, we schedule it, and then you're very good about like the the day before you you email us and go hey i just want to make sure that everything is is still good uh for there um so you, you handle a lot of the uh the uh the background work for for the creatives there yeah um like i said i think that's a big help to the creatives um mostly um a lot of people are just inherently they may not be the best organized or they got a lot going on. So they do mm-hmm. need help to have someone kind of guiding the ship. You're like, just keep, you know, this, this, this is what's happening. This is what's next. Um, this is your link. Make sure everyone has what they need. And it's, it's, it's a point of service. I think a lot of people use my services, I think, just for the organizational benefit of it. Um, I, I tend to be pretty good with organization on certain sure. things. Not, not. I mean, if you looked at my, my house, it doesn't look organized. <laughs> but um much like my combo collection, when it's certain things that can be highly organized on. And so that's kind of what I, when I focus in on it. So organizing the, the schedules for people is, is one of the benefits I think that I can give to um, my clients. Yeah. And I'm guessing you've also been able to build up a uh, digital Rolodex for, for yourself here. Uh, when, when this, when, you know, this campaign, you have a pre-launch page, right? Um, currently. The pre-launch page literally launched about three hours ago. So, oh, um, please click notify. Um, I, I want I could use as many notifications as really possible. So, please, everyone, do so. Who's listening? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it it it, it literally um, the notify notification page went live about three hours ago. Very cool. Well, I can tell you personally, I I have clicked that. Um, we're going to put that uh, in the show notes for for this podcast. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Um, Noah, do you do you have a question here? No, I, I I forgot that you were a publicist, so it's cool to hear about that angle of the, the comics industry. Um, was that just something where you saw that there was a a need for it, you know, out there with people running the the kickstarters and things like that, and you just decided to put yourself out there in that way, or did someone give you the idea for it, or what? What? How did it? How did you start in that business? Um, I fell into it. Um. I okay. I don't, I don't know how far back you may go on the story, but for the most part, for over the last ten years, I did a lot of um, interviews with different uh, people in talent in in the industry. Um, for first for a web for a couple of websites, I did articles for writing articles for 
Um, I did it also for a combo convention in New York. I did a some recruiting for them. And then eventually I got on a podcast uh, where I did the same thing, recruited the guests for the show, uh, basically with their public relations manager. And I would schedule them with interviews with different celebrities, comic people, things of that nature. And one of the people who are on the show, uh, one, one of the hosts asked me to do public relate, you know, get interviews for her. The assumption being, if I can get guests, I probably can get them on other shows. So it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, the logic's a little reversed. But it, there's some sort of sense it kind of made to me. I was like, well, if I guess if I can get guests, I guess I can probably also find shows. I guess it's probably a similar concept. I don't know. Um, and then I did, you know, I worked with her uh, for a few months. And then other people were like, hey, would you mind working with me? And I said, sure. And then every uh, month, my, 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 my rule is I only keep the two to three guests per month. I don't go over three clients per month because of um, time and energy. I can't focus on more than two or three clients at a time. And then basically, I mean, I don't ever advertise myself ever, but word of mouth has just kept me busy for the last um, year and a half or two years. That's awesome. So when you are like searching, um, you know, for possible um, places to, to have your guests, um, do you have any like criteria of the, of the podcast you're looking for? Um, or is it, you know, uh, you know, I just need to, to get this person on as many shows as possible. Like, do, do you ever like go and listen to a podcast and I, you know, obviously we don't want to give names, but you're like, um, you know, that's somebody that I probably don't want to reach out to. Like, um, how much research is it to, um, figure out who you want to reach out to for, um, having a creator go on. Um, there's definitely research involved. I mean, part some of it is just word of mouth from my other clients. And there's there are certain uh, podcasts that someone has come to me and said, I don't want to go on that show ever again. And I know, you know, once again, no, don't ever go, you know, so that show gets out of my rotation, they're kicked out, and I move on to, to the next. This happened a few times. Um, there's a few, um, without getting overly political, uh, Comics Gate, I keep away from those podcasts always. Um, as a general rule, um, just because most of my clients are, are, you know, wouldn't want them on, they wouldn't want to go on those shows anyway. So I keep them off that. Um, and it, some of it depends. I mean, I, I try to go for shows that have an audience. Uh, so they have to get a, a view count and check to see what they're, you know, what they're doing. Um, try to get a sense of the individuals with how, how they promote uh, the show. Um, and then, you know, and then some of it is, once again, it's just seeing, uh, and the experience. If I have a bad experience with them as well as the publicist, I'm not going to work with them ever again. Um, some of it's trial and error. Uh, yeah. Especially when I was, you know, my first clients, um, I didn't have a, I didn't have a big Rolodex of people to go to. So I was, you know, going for any interviews I could. So that kind of gave you, started getting a sense of which ones were working, which ones didn't. And using feedback, you know, say a lot get excised. Um, and a few are excised because they're, you know, kind of how they present themselves to me. If I find the person seems like a bit of an ass, I'm not going to bring my guests to them. Things of that mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all the things you said there make a, a, a lot of sense uh, mm -hmm. uh, to me. Um, Noah and I try to do our best to um, be as accommodating as possible. You know, um, somebody has a Kickstarter going on. We want to like either have it at the start, the end, or 
you know, maybe they're like, hey, I'm in the middle of my campaign. I could really use some help with, uh, you know, sort of that that dead space in the middle. Um, so, you know, we try to be as accommodating as possible. Um, but I, I feel like a service like yours would be um, really beneficial. Um, you know, I, I think creative sometimes, um, and I'm trying to phrase this nicely, um, don't always have the best business um, hats. You know, they 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 you know they're they're creatives for a reason. Um, so like the, the service that you're providing seems to be very beneficial. Yeah. I mean, and I've had a lot of success. Um, I've, every client I've had has hit, has passed their goal. Um, every client I've had has broken records for themselves from the previous shows that they've done. Um, I, I have one client, um, they did almost $13,000 in, um, in their campaign. Another one did over 8,000. Most of them will do five or better. That's cool. great. Um, Noah, uh, question for Jeff? Uh, no, that was uh, that's uh, it was really cool to hear about that side of comics. I don't think we've ever had anyone on who deals with the publicity side because we're mostly just, you know, the publicity, you know, uh, trying to say, think of a good word here. I don't know. Providers, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's cool to hear. Also, it's kind of nice to... Uh, <laughs> ego stroking to be like oh we have an audience oh nice <laughs> <laughs> so glad to hear it um but yeah thank you for going into depth about that yeah no, no problem i mean publicist it um if you can afford a publicist um it's, it's helpful if, if for no other reason it helps to have somebody else invested in your comic book who's promoting you and pushing you and the very best interactions i've had with a client or the ones where you're, you're basically, you're almost like friends where you're both, you're, you're helping to prop them up as well. And, you know, cause especially in a Kickstarter campaign, there's always that moment of extreme doubt and fear <laughs> mm -hmm. where the, the, what we call the great lull, the great lull mm -hmm. hits every campaign, usually for a few days and you start, yeah. you know, the doubts pop up, the, the frustrations pop up. It helps to have someone backing you up and going, no, this is good trust you know trust the process you're doing well and everyone needs someone like needs someone like that to kind of like be a coach and you know uh, get them you know feeling better about things and like so if you can afford one it 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 helps yeah it really does so let's uh let's make sure we turn our attention back to the to the book that that you're writing um if everything is is going well i know that uh, you have an endpoint um, in mind that, that you're working to, um, how often do you think you would be taking an issue of, of this series, the, the Kickstarter? Um, it, it's hard to say because a lot of it has to do with the speed in which the artist can work. Um, mm -hmm. He does work a full-time job. Um, when the re And, you know, the, the, the reality of it for from a writer, and you, you got to look at it realistically from the artist standpoint, there's two things you can do as a writer hiring an artist. You can pay them so much that they don't have to work a job <laughs> and, and assume things are going to go quicker. <laughs> or you can pay them what you can afford, but expect that they're probably not going to be able to deliver the, the work as quickly as you wish yeah. they could. And yeah. th th those are only two options you've got. I mean, this Kickstarter did $12,000, let's say. It, it's not going to, but let's say it did $12,000. Um, I probably can, you know, and he's going to get, um, after profit, we're going to be splitting most of the um, the funds. So it's mm -hmm. going to, 
Um, so he's gonna get, let's say, so he would end up with so twelve hundred dollars or goal. That'd be like five, six thousand dollars he'd get. I'm sure he could move a lot quicker at that point. But at the but at the same time, if we're re- releasing one a year or one every eight months, um, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, so if I have never um, backed a a Jeff Haas project uh, before. Um, and I, you know, I go and I check out the the first issue of, of Terminus. Is there a way to um, get some of your back catalog on this Kickstarter that's going to come up? I actually ha- did not put a, a back um, catalog on there. Um, I mean, I, I guess I could add that. Um, the reason being, a lot of the stuff is owned by other publishers. Uh, okay. Santa Claus and Malik is owned by One Two Three Go, and it's, you can find them on. Well, I'm, well, what's the name of? The, I can't remember the name of that. It's, just, it's not Comicsology, but it's 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 a different one that you can buy it on. Uh, just, global Global Comics. Not global. It's not global comics. I'm trying to remember the the name of it. Um, you can just look up Malik Rain Devil, and you probably can find it on the site that I'm thinking of. I can't remember the top okay. of my head. Um, and then uh, Nightmare Patrol was on is on Comicsology, so you can get them on on that. Santos, you can buy on Amazon. Um, so you can buy it that way, but um. I mean, if everyone wants, wants those issues, you're welcome to send me an email. Um, but I guess I probably, I, mean, I guess I could do a PDF tier of catching up on the other projects. Um, I don't know. I mean, if the people, if people want my other issues, have at it. Uh, but please uh, donate to um, Terminus first. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> my, my dog so... is barking. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. No worries. Noah and I both have had our uh cats and dogs appear on the on the podcast before so uh we're we're, we're used to that i appreciate so it so we are um we're we're pushing about an hour here and i think we've talked about uh you know obviously we started off with the book um you know we've talked story we talked about uh you know things that have inspired this story and then we got to talk about something new that we haven't uh had a chance to the whole uh publicist angle of everything um but as we close up do you want to let folks know um, a little bit more about this book and where the the best places um, to follow you online are? Sure. Um, the best place to find the end of all Terminus, um, one, Kickstarter. Like I said, just look up Terminus. It'll, it'll, it'll pop up and click notify. Um, you can find it on Twitter under Terminus Comic Book or at Terminus Comic. Um, you can find the uh, Terminus on Facebook just under the page uh, Terminus. Um, as well, so you can so check that out. If you want to, uh, um, you can also find me on Instagram under vector underscore comics, as well. Or you can look up uh, Traversing the Stars podcast, and I'm there all over the place for that as well. But like I said, I think um, people are going to like the end of all Terminus. It's a great sci-fi epic, uh, apocalyptic sci-fi. It's fun. Um, a lot of great rewards. The pricing is reasonable, I would say. I mean, thing with Kickstarter, the pricing is never like. The same as you go to a comic book store. I mean, it'd be nice sure. to. I mean, it would be nice to put a comic book at five bucks. You know, hard copy five dollars um, on a Kickstarter. But at the same time, you never can do that and then afford to pay the artist, with which is where the money's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the pricing is as reasonable as I can. You get the PDF for two dollars. Um, the hard copy is nine. Uh, not counting shipping. Shipping's always additional, unfortunately. Uh, we have mugs. We have T-shirts. We have a three D uh, printing of the ship that you can get like a, you can literally buy the ship um, in your cool. hand. I think, it's, I think it's like eight inches, I think in size, something like that. Um, the, the art craft ship is providing that um, you can get 
uh, multiple different covers. We have three different covers. We have the one that Brad Shipp did. We have one that Chris Michael did. He's from uh, the character, the guy who does Crit. He's doing a um, a mashup cover for us. Um, Danny Valencia is doing um, another uh, variant for us. You can do there's a store one where you can buy bulk issues for a discounted price. There's ones that you can buy like literally everything um, for the comic book. There's a um, you can buy appearances on my show, the Traverse of the Stars podcast. You can buy um, guest appearances as well for um, for a price. So yeah, there's a lots of we're offering. Um, hopefully, a stretch goal at three thousand would be color, which would be pretty cool as well. But for the most part, anything you can give to the comic book, please do it. It helps me. It's great. For, you know, it's it's um, it helps. It's great for the artists because once again, it allows them a little bit of a better, bigger paycheck instead of the work that they do or he does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so please check it out. Awesome. So I realized that I had two questions when you were when you were going through that. Um, is your podcast um, mostly comic book focused? What's the what's the focus of your podcast? Okay, um, it's an inter- entertainment interview podcast. We do both comic book people and we do celebrities. Um, some prior guests that we've had on the show, we have Armor, Armin Shimmerman from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, Thomas Jane from, uh, he was one of the guys who played the Punisher. Uh, mm-hmm. Will Whedon from Star Trek Next Generation was on the show. Uh, we've also had Peter Macon from the Orville. Um, a bunch of other ones as well. Um, comic book people, we've had Stan Sakai, Peter David. We just recently released an episode with Ed Brisson on, on the show as well. So it's a combination of a lot, lot of different things. We're going to have, um, tomorrow I have Michael Berryman on, on my show, if you know The Hills of Eyes. So that would be pretty cool for me. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of different um, celebrities, comic books. I, it's, kind of, it's an interesting mix. It's probably almost 50-50 now between comic book people and um, celebrity people, uh, directors, things of that nature. We're going to have... Um, Alec Proyas sometime this week, I believe, as well. Very cool. Well, we'll Very link cool. the uh, we'll link your your podcast in the show notes. Uh, and so, my other thought when you were when you were closing up there is, all right. So I've listened to this podcast. I'm a indie creator myself, and I just heard this this awesome promotional service that you have. And I want to reach out to you um, for your service. What's what's the what's what's the best way to to contact you for that? All right, um, best way to contact me on um, Twitter. You can find me on uh, Jhaus Interviews. Um, that's what you can contact me through that. You can con- email me at jhauspr at gmail dot com. J h a a s a sorry j h a a s p r at gmail dot com. That's the way to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, even on Twitter, like, just send a shout out to me, and I'll it'll find you. Um, I will keep him let you know. Like I said, whoever's interested, I only do two or three clients per month, so I book pretty quick. And after mm-hmm. two or three clients, even if you know, I, even if you have a great product, I'm just gonna not take you, um, because after two or three, I know I can't do a job properly with you uh, for you anyway at that point. So if you if you want to um, get me, do it soon. And the ideal time be, be, be at um, the point of hiring me to re, to launch your Kickstarter is about four to six weeks. You want about a four to six week lead time between hiring me, getting started promotion, and then launching your Kickstarter and then promoting that. Um, so about, I'll say about four to six weeks of uh, lead time. Very cool. And what's the uh, what's the launch date for, for your Kickstarter? March 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Very cool, uh, very cool. The, the goal is to launch it live on a live show starting at seven o'clock that night. Hopefully we're, we're rocking. So, um, a lot of people on, and the goal of the live show is going to be: I want indie indie creators to come on the show, 
uh, on the live on the live show um, that we're going to be that I'm going to be doing hosting on probably on Instagram. And when you you know, and you can come on and you'll know, give a few minutes to talk about what you're doing as well. And so it's going to be kind of like a fun chit chat where we're going to be talking to other people going back and forth. Um, they can talk about their stuff. We'll talk about my stuff. And hopefully everyone will get maybe five, six minutes to um, talk about themselves. And hopefully it'll be a good time. And hopefully we hit a goal early. That'd be that'd be nice. Very that'd cool. be awesome. Yeah. Awesome, Jeff. Well, um, I want to thank you uh, for two things. Um, one, giving us uh, a number of guests to to interview on uh, on our podcast. It's it's yes. uh, it's been very helpful. And and two, um, coming on here um and wearing both hats the the creator hat and the and the promoter hat that that was a lot of fun to to talk about so you know i i always know that um periodically i can get an email from you that says hey you know i got this person um that's that's looking to come on the show this is their this is their book um but to get to talk to you as a as a creator here was 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 a treat you know so many of our interactions before this have been you know, email set like we we described setting up the the podcast, but this this was a lot of fun as well. Oh, it's totally yeah. my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Very cool. Um, so Jeff, we're gonna link um your podcast, your uh, pre launch page, um, and your social media and the and the show notes. Um, so people can click that notification button. Most importantly, second, um, check out your social media and and. Third, um, but not least, uh, check out that podcast. It sounds pretty awesome. Thank you so much. Like I said, I appreciate you guys doing this for me, guys. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. So uh, for anybody listening, if you want to check out our podcast on social media, we are on Twitter, and that is at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, just once again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe. Be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.